Ho, 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 ho. Hello, everyone. My name is Sam, and welcome once again to That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to Explain Manga, our heated adventures overanalyzing manga that we find interesting. And we are very holly and jolly this week. Why, you ask? Well, because it's almost Christmas time, and we've got you an early present. For underneath your tree, we're bringing you a discussion of Klaus, How Santa Began, by Grant Morrison and Dan Mora. So get a hot drink for this cold winter's night, and join us as we find out the origins of Santa. Merry Christmas, and on with the show. All right, who's ready to talk about uh, hot, hot Dad Santa? Cause I yes, Hot Daddy. Hot Daddy I, I, Santa. Let's ooh, do this. Cut, that's going for over manga cast cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> Bold of you to think I won't leave it in the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the Over Manga Cast. My name is Sam. As always, at the top of the show, we like to talk about what our familiarity with the franchise. This one's a little weird. I, I don't think there's anyone in this podcast who doesn't know who Santa is, but... Um, <laughs> How familiar are any of us with this particular comic of Klaus, How Santa Began? Personally, I can say that it rang a vague bell in my brain, like I might have heard of it before as a, lol, this is funny post that I skimmed across five years ago or whatever. But um, I've, I've never like sought it out or done anything more than randomly stumbled across it on the internet every other December. But now here we are. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, what, what's your familiarity with this in particular? So right out of the gate, obviously I'm familiar with um, Santa, St. Nicholas, uh, Klaus. However, upon hearing this title, I can't say that I was too familiar with this particular work. Honestly, I don't even know. Is this the original? Um, it didn't the original um, translation or was it originally printed in English? It's by Grant Morrison. So, yeah, I would assume so. OK, Western comic. All right. So there you go. Um, I'm not too keyed into Western comics in general, so I'm sure there's a lot of Western comics that are probably very good. So, um, I don't remember who recommended it, but yeah. Um, but needless to say, I do not have any familiarity. I'm just not keyed into the whole Western comic world, comic world, as much as I am the Japanese comics mangas. All them mangoes, uh, Matt. How about you? If I remember correctly, you were actually the one that found Klaus for the podcast. Yes, I did the normal thing I do whenever we have a holiday uh, special, where I try and find the most ridiculous thing possible. You succeeded. I failed yet again. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps trying to find trash and finds treasure every time. <laughs> First, it was uh, Eagle, the making of an Asian American president for Fourth of July, and now on this Christmas Day. Uh, we found Klaus, how Santa began. <sighs> I, I call both of those a win, personally. <laughs> yes. But anyway, uh, beyond finding it for the podcast, did you know anything about this beforehand? No, nothing. <laughs> All right. And how about you, Jacob? Well, the thing is, I actually did. Um, it was around the time when um, the New 52 had just come out. I was really getting into Western comics, particularly DC, because they had just had that pseudo reboot. I'm a big fan of uh, Linkara, 
who was part of a, a conglomerate that shall not be named. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid naming it. it has a really cool YouTube channel that I like the like plot line stuff that he does with it. Um, and it it got me to not just know like, you know, DC for the DCAU, but actually check out some comic books. So I was somewhat familiar with some of Grant Morrison's other works. But I did not know he had even made a, a Santa Claus origin story, a, a Santa Claus superhero origin story. <laughs> so this particular work I was I was in no way aware of, but I did immediately recognize recognize the name Grant Morrison as soon as I opened her up. And uh, yeah, this this comic, it promises to do what uh, a lot of Western comics do, and that is give us a gritty reboot, except we're grittily rebooting uh, the little Saint Nick as uh, big buff daddy Santa. <laughs> uh, we start with our hero, whose name is Klaus, uh, making his way through a snowstorm to the town of Grimsvelg, which I know it's probably like a perfectly acceptable like Nordic name for a town, but just something about Grimsvelg. And subtlety is not a thing that exists in this uh, in this story to its benefit. We'll we'll get to literally all of that. <laughs> we'll get to literally any line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the men? <laughs> no toys are allowed in this town. Everything <laughs> that uh, falls into a child's hand becomes a toy. Oh well, jeez. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to it. But um Klaus is a woodsman. He's a wild man living out on the land. Uh, and he's coming to town to trade some furs that he's gotten in his wild manning. Did on his initial arrival, he already have his wolf companion with him or was she not there? She wasn't there for the initial. For the first. OK, yeah. Yeah. For the initial walk into town. He, uh, his wolf companion is in the comic before he comes into town, though, but he leaves her outside. But he leaves her outside. Yeah, because now I'm remembering how she's introduced and that comes a little bit like how she's properly introduced to the audience. And that's a little bit later. Mm -hmm. He heads into a bar to, you know, get a drink before, you know, moving on to sell his wares. And he asks the bartender, um, so what the heck happened to this town? I used to live here. And the bartender's like. Ah, well, things have changed recently. Whatever happened to the old barkeep? He said the wrong thing one too many times, understand? That's a shame he never watered down his beer. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the guards come in <laughs> to harass Klaus because they're getting ready to confiscate his goods. Rabbit skins on his sled. Which Klaus takes exception to, as you do. The guards are very clearly trying to pick a fight with him because, like, you know, Which this I is... I don't know why you would. This man is seven feet tall and, like, 200 pounds of chiseled muscle. <laughs> this man's biceps are larger than most of these guards' heads. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really impressive. Like, if you wanted to take a nap, his pecs would be an amazingly soft pillow. Like, <laughs> I don't know about soft. Those things are so rock hard. They show through literally anything he wears, even the biggest leather jerkin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, uh, the, the guards get distracted because some children are playing in the street with a pebble. And that's a big no-no because uh, toys are not allowed in Grimsville. And I know what you're thinking. 
Pebbles aren't toys, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But hey, anything becomes a toy in the hands of a child. So, so they proceed to steal the pebble from the child and then attempt to kick the child. Because the other thing is, Klaus was actually doing a pretty good job of uh, managing the situation. Because like these guards are obvious, like these guards are full of bluster. From a structural perspective, this is a we're showing the you know the oppressive regime controlling the town, but also these guys can look at this guy and know that they're not going to win that fight. So they're mostly mm -hmm. bluster until Klaus reacts to trying to protect the children, at which point, you know, spears are drawn. Klaus wallops a few guards and he does pretty good for about a panel until six people jump in and start kicking him. They also have spears is the big thing. Yeah. Like he Klaus himself, like puts his hands up the second they draw weapons on him because he's like, OK, OK, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to fight you. I was protecting the child. I've done that. I surrender. I also mm -hmm. don't want to gamble on taking out six spears because uh, I'm not a mortal. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Klaus has his arms bound and he's kicked out of town and the guards are taking bets on how long he'll last. I believe they stab him with a spear at one point and the guards on the wall are shooting at him for sport and at least one mm. of them hits him. They shoot him in the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. We're, we're stereotypically awful villain characters. We're just going to kill you uh, until Klaus whistles a little tune and a giant freaking wolf jumps out and tears out a couple throats. Oh, best character. Big, Le big, floofy dog friend. Lily is best doggo. Yes. <laughs> is it Lily? Yeah, Lily. Oh, I misread, I misread it then. I thought her name was Lily. Well, if she has an I as opposed to a Y. It might actually be Lily then. I could be wrong. I think I think both pronunciations are valid. I did Lily because of the I, but... But uh, either way, Big Wolfo is very well trained because not only does she tear out the throats of a couple of guards, but she immediately backs down upon uh, Klaus saying, that'll do. And... <laughs> is... That'll do, girl, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, and she's dexterous enough to bite through the arm bindings without injuring Klaus. Like they trained for this. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you wonder if this uh, situation has happened before. Mm -hmm. I mean, strictly speaking, I suppose it can't have because otherwise Klaus would know what state the town was in. But still, it's it's a little bit odd that she knows to do that. <laughs> I'm imagining some kind of like awkward, like break in training montage. <laughs> what you're saying is we need a prologue to this origin story. <laughs> we are introduced to the villain of our story, the local baron, Lord Magnus. I, I love Lord Magnus so much. Because I love Magnus. <laughs> if the dialogue you just witnessed wasn't enough for you to know you are in like a Hallmark Christmas movie for children, like everything Lord Magnus says should push it over the edge of like... Don't you understand? You should hate the other children because they are grimy, filthy things. They love you so much, they want you to be the happiest child. For I hate Christmas so much. One of the things he says, 
he has an entire like villain monologue to his son about how he's so gosh dang evil. He confiscates all toys in town to give to his son and has the men work themselves to death in the coal mines. He's saying this to a child. And the other thing that I really like about this, as more of the characters are introduced, this is actually going to be one of the things I really liked uh, the most about the story. The character design is as unbelievably blunt as it gets. He looks like the evil, you know, poison-tipped knife-wielding vizier that he's acting. Like, there's there's absolutely oh, well, no... My, my man's is, like, gaunt, like, skeletal frame, like, chiseled jaw that's, like, sunken in cheeks in a, like... Impressive cheekbones. Yeah, and, like, a black <laughs> warlock's robe for no reason. <laughs> I think I read worst of all, and this really kind of like made me go ew. Some people even likened him to like a less impressive like hairline Professor Snape. (laughs) (laughs) He like he wears the robes that your childhood friend in the eighties, who was the dungeon master of the group, had for the the minis. He's that guy, but in the actual setting. <laughs> yes, it's it's great. Since at this point he's, you know, giving his little villain monologue to Jonah. Is his Jonas. son? Jonas. Jonas. One of the really neat things that I that I liked a lot, a really positive point to the art, his son looks exactly like him, as you would expect. Mm. Oh, oh, he's a mini-me, practically. And he... Under under most circumstances, he looks just as cartoonishly evil. One of the things that the story really uh, emphasizes on is how the circumstances and how you choose to treat people has a large effect on what kind of a person you are. Um, the next character we'll meet is um, Dagmar Baroness. Baroness, yeah, that's the right term. The Baroness of the town. When she's initially introduced, this doesn't last quite as long for her as it does for her son. But when she's initially introduced, she kind of looks on the evil side too. Like she's not mm. as quickly and overtly evil, but she has this like really nasty scowl on her face that makes you think, "Here's the evil queen over here." Yeah. She looks like every disinterested evil empress you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I love how this um, scene wears itself on its sleeves, too, because Lord Magnus is going into this dinner and like they're like draconian, like oppressive regime, like dark silhouetted hallway. Just like now, come on, Jonas, we must go and suffer another miserable meal with your mother. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then we open in the room. Me, that made me think at first, like, uh, just on that um, frame of, di- like, lining of dialogue, like, made me think, like, maybe, like, he brought this child into the fray. Like, I didn't connect at this point that they were even married mm. or that that was even, like, her son. Like, I thought there was some kind of, like, hostage situation going on. Or, or like, an adopted kid, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Like my favorite part about this scene though is like it's dark and oppressive and like cartoonish supervillainy. And like in this like comic about uh the origin of Santa, you have not seen a single Christmassy thing until you open up their dining room and there is a giant Yule tree that takes up the entire scene <laughs> and it is the most festive and Christmassy thing as these three people have the most tense, awkward dinner I think I have ever, like, read. Oh, oh, they are sitting as far apart from each other at this giant banquet table as physically possible. 
okay, this, this is a discussion question for later, but this comic does have like actual thought put into it. And I, I appreciate it for that. Dagmar sits at the center of the table, like lengthwise, while Jonas and Magnus sit at the two ends. She's literally sitting between the two of them. Mm. That sort of goes into like some of the stuff that I was saying is that um, as cartoonish as all three, because like all three of these characters are introduced as being utterly cartoonish and wackily evil. The first thing Jonas does that we see on panel is scream and wail about how nothing is ever good enough as he's kicking a, a really well-made like replica town to pieces. Johannes, that made craftsmen, spent six months working on that model. I want tiny people! So I can smash them! Johannes, you don't want tiny people, because tiny people will conspire against you, and you must watch them at all times, for they will betray you like everything else you love. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, Dad? What are you saying, Father? <laughs> yeah, at, at different points over the course of the story, you actually see different faces of all of them. Needless to say, Magnus, for as nuts as he is, is the one that goes through that has like the least drastic of changes. But it it does go to show that like personal perception and the perceptions of others have a pretty heavy effect on how you act. The the art and particularly the art of the faces does a really, really good job of conveying that. And and I love how they're having this like very put together dinner and they're having very like polite talk and you know veiled jabs at each other and then <laughs> it's juxtaposed with klaus and <laughs> lily and taking down an elk both of them like bloodied and wrestling <laughs> it to the ground and stabbing it in the throat <laughs> oh man and it's it's great too because of the scene that follows immediately matt you need to post that panel on twitter so everyone can see it it's so of the, of the elk fight yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> They're real proud of it. They put it at the at the start of every volume. <laughs> it's very much the case where um, what subtlety? I don't think we need to explain the <laughs> metaphor there. Yeah, but um, we we have a, a scene where um, after after uh, taking down their dinner, and again, remember, Klaus is heavily injured. He's bruised from getting beaten up by guards. He's been shot with an arrow and, you know, they still took down that thing. And uh, he decides to end the night by uh, cooking up some some magic juice and playing a tune on his flute to summon the the shining family, the spirits of the forest. And he gets highest. Yeah, uh, there, there's not goes, really any way to describe it besides that. The entire pan, like the entire page, is just psychedelic art as these ghost creatures come out of the forest. And the next page is Klaus waking up, apparently having slept in the snow. Well, he he wasn't sleeping. Was the big thing. He wakes up though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he wakes up, but like he wasn't in the snow. He was like, because he says like, oh, my arms are so tired. What was I doing all night? Yeah, yeah he was yeah. dancing with the spirits, as he puts it. Yeah, and as he wakes up and stretches in the morning light, he looks down and sees dozens upon dozens of intricately carved toys. I mean, like, that's quite the trip. 
Yeah. I, was, I got real high, and then I made toys all night. Really? What did I do last night? And what do I do now? I, I love this. I love this. It's the final page of volume of issue one. It's Klaus going, what do I do now? And like the, the camera air quotes is looking uh, up at him from the perspective of like the toys on the ground. And there's a nice big red sack there. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the writers of this comic know creatives who have used subtext and think that all of them are cowards. <laughs> Look, man, if you're doing the origin story of Santa, you need to accept people know what's going in. They're not going to be like, oh, man, I wonder what he's going to do. It's like, no, he's going to deliver toys to the children because the evil baron said toys are not allowed. There shall be no joy on Christmas. Yeah. And now it, and now it's time for Metal Gear Santa, Sons of Yule Time. <laughs> Klaus gets into the city. He uh, climbs the wall to avoid detection. And when everyone wakes up, uh, in it's it's specifically the poor ward in front of everyone's doors is the oh, toys. Jacob, you're doing a disservice to the full on like splinter cells <laughs> Klaus does to get into town and deliver these toys. Well, like, the, I, I gotta point this out. It's the first time they just show like a quick thing of him going over the wall, but they they go into more detail as it goes on. When he gets to the top of the walls, he takes a snowball, throws it onto a rooftop covered in snow because he knows it will roll down the slanted rooftop and bury the guards. <laughs> Specifically, like the big buff guard they were setting up to be like a whole big climactic thing. Dude just gets and turned into awesome. a snowman. <laughs> I love it. And, and so he and so like he snowballs a couple of guards. He runs around and bags a few of them with his uh, Chris with his sack of cheer. He he vandalizes the pictures of the propaganda posters of Magnus. And um, my favorite bit is when um, Lord Magnus is coming by. One of the guards like tries to block the thing. Don't let him see. He'll get so mad. And Magnus shoves him out of the way. You fools. This evidence. <laughs> this is evidence you're trying to you're trying to clean away this vandalism of my poster when it can give us a hint as to this villain a rune for joy why is that there drawn on my chin my incredibly sharp chin that could cut a man's throat but uh anyway uh we do get to the next day and um the children are playing with their new toys that they found and the toys are magic the, the little carved birdies can fly. And all of the families of the poor ward. <laughs> I like that they specifically call out it specifically the poor ward. <laughs> yeah, yes, dear listeners, I want to make this incredibly clear. We're not calling it the poor ward to be facetious or make a funny or whatever. It's called that in universe. Yeah, <laughs> because again, subtlety is not a thing that this comic knows or wants to. Which is also weird because we've been established that this barony has no like middle class. <laughs> there is the baron and the guards. He's literally trying to suck all of the happiness and joy and out of everybody out of so, everything and everyone so when when you des designate all the poor people as their own ward that's just 90% of the city yeah. <laughs> yes i mean to be fair santa takes care of the entire world at, uh by the end of this comic so uh 90% of a city is not that 
as it's revealed later, though, it turns out like the ward wasn't always, well, we knew this, it wasn't always this way. And we don't know if it was always designed as quote unquote, the poor ward, or if this was only when, when Magnus took started, when Magnus took over. Yeah. And there is some a sense of accountability. It's great. Uh, Magnus is yelling at the guards. Uh, Jonas wakes up Dagmar and he's like, look at all these children having fun with the toys down there. Why don't I get to have fun with the toys, mummy? And she's <laughs> like, oh, don't worry. Your tyrant of a father will steal all of them for you, I'm sure. I think she actually says that, doesn't she? Yes, she does. That's basically the line. Like, she <laughs> gives no, she does not mince words with him. She's like, yeah, your father is kind of an awful human being. There's no subtlety in this comic. <laughs> no, not at all. But but it's here where we are revealed the plot a little bit. Like, obviously, the plot is Klaus comes in and saves Christmas. But Magnus says to a random peasant woman, oh, the king is showing up in three days for a feast. And I need to make sure the town is ready for his arrival. So steal all the children's <laughs> toys. I will give them to my child so that he might be happy. Yes. He might be because we find out that his... His child is never happy, and I wonder why. <laughs> and, and so Magnus is questioning all of the all of the people, and it's like, who is leaving all these toys in the poor quarter? <laughs> I can died when I read the poor quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and a little girl walks up to him and is like, it was the Santa, the Yulneris, the Yuletime spirit. There's no such thing as Santa. I, I, I don't I don't know if we have any more ways to say there is no subtlety yeah. in this. Unfortunately, because Jonas is a spoiled little brat, the magic of the toys does not work for him. But gas. He also very quickly breaks them. Like, I, I wonder how much was a he didn't actually give the toys a chance to move before he smashed them. It's it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other in this case. Yeah. And and while Jonas is pitching his fit, um, Dagmar goes, wait, a craftsmanship on these toys, these carved birds. And she rushes off to her chambers and pulls out a hidden box in which is a carved bird. Klaus? The plot thickens, my friends. It's a bit ambitious to say that the plot thickens, but <laughs> yeah, technically that is what happens. The plot is consistently syrup throughout this. <laughs> You, you can't get a dab of the plot. You have a full-on drizzle coating the back of your fork at all times. And you cannot ever escape it. The plot gets stuck on the outside of your mouth, and you can't just ever wipe it clean. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's such an accurate description of this. Oh, my favorite part in this issue is when the, the Lord Magnus is like, you will find this miscreant. And so the guard is like, all right, guys, I've, it's like a ghost wolf, maybe. I don't know. We need to we need to find this guy. And this massive dude comes in like no one hides from Olaf. Olaf will find this man and Olaf will eat him alive. Olaf is me, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, they weren't they weren't calling him the ghost wolf yet because they they corner him in a, like a dead end alley with dogs. Yeah, with um with hunting dogs, at which point the hunting dogs like they're about to attack Klaus. He has a hood up so they can't see his face. They're basically <laughs> pretending he has a secret identity for whatever reason. And a merry Yule time to you, too. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, the the dogs suddenly they notice something and then flee in fear. And the the guards all like suddenly look behind them in part as uh, Lily appears and uh, escorts Klaus away because <laughs> they don't want to <laughs> pick a fight with a wolf that is like the, she is double like, the double the size of their dogs. She's like four foot two at the shoulder. This is yeah. not a normal wolf. So, so we we do get a panel later on that I think is just a cover panel. It's not actually used in the story, but there is a sleigh pulled by <laughs> Lily and some other wolves <laughs> as if they were reindeer, not sled dogs. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Look, all I'm saying is that uh, Lily and and Klaus is what everyone who plays a Beastmaster Ranger in Dungeons and Dragons think that they're doing. <laughs> we get our interstitial scene where we uh, actually get some of the backstory as we get to go into the mine that all the men of town have been spending so much time in. Mm -hmm. And we get the loving thing of this one like guy from the point of view you're seeing him. You think he's going crazy because he's just shouting about voices. I won't do it anymore. I need to be free. I can always hear the voice. At which point the guards of the mine just take that guy away and like boss said, keep him quiet. There are no voices down here. Shut up and keep working. What? I think it, it then immediately cuts to Magnus. Yes, voice, as you say, I will continue to take the toys from the children. Yep. <laughs> there are no voices in the mine. Oh, nope. Lord Magnus has come down. Everyone uh, plug your ears and look the other way. He's going to do some creepy <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, it's even better because th there is a brief scene where Magnus and Dagmar are talking and Dagmar is like muttering to herself as she's looking at the uh, old uh, carved bird that Klaus gave her long ago. Uh, we can only assume. I think they, there's a scene of him giving that to her. It, it comes a little later, but Magnus says, uh, talking to yourself, they say it's the first sign of madness. I'm going to destroy this keepsake you had, and now I'm going to go down into the mines to talk to the coal. <laughs> Do not question me. In all fairness, Magnus doesn't say I'm going to destroy the keepsake. He just destroys it because he hates these toys and then offhandedly mentions the paint was old on that one. Interesting. And I... You could go either way, because I think the comic isn't very specific whether or not that's a threat to Dagmar, or if that's just him, like, offhandedly going, like, why would there be an old toy here? Mm. Yeah. I think I think the intent behind that is it's supposed to be him putting the pieces together and figuring out who the Santa is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what that's supposed to convey, because uh, we learned later that uh, Klaus and Magnus do actually like had previously known each other. Strictly speaking, it doesn't amount to much, but it's it's fun and hammy. So I'm I'm going to take it. But <laughs> as Klaus is getting high as heck again with the uh, <laughs> with those shining family, the spirits, the spirits of cold and forced the things out on the ice. Uh, and I don't think we really got into these. These things look like aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they're creepy. Like if it wasn't for all the rainbow psychedelic stuff in the panels where they show up, it would be a lot be more threatening. <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be something out of a out of a horror. They're like they're gaunt. They're 
the kind of icy blue that you kind of associate with a frozen corpse. Their heads are too big. They've got like blank eyes. It's really freaking creepy. Yeah, I think I think the color scheme is really important to it because it gives off the Aurora Borealis feel that it's intended. But I feel like if this was in black and white, those things would not come off as intended. Is um mm-hmm. is this the part where Klaus also burns down the uh, Yuletide tree? Yeah, he interrupts a church service where the monk is going, and that is why we must all be really sad on Christmas. No one can ever be happy. It is bright, and this is what God says. Wait, who's who's uh, hammering the church bells? That's only supposed to designate when the shifts are switching. Oh no! Don't go! Don't go running out into the streets. Celebration is not allowed. Oh no! The Yule time tree is on fire. <laughs> Klaus apologizes to the tree in the center of town. I remember when I carved from your living branches a keepsake. You will do one more thing for me, great tree. And then burns it to the ground as a show of force. Well, as a distraction. As a distraction. Because then he goes to the castle and it's like, it's been a long time, Dagmar. And that's when the issue ends. And it's clearly like, we need to get to the scene where he's like Spider-Man crawling in the window. Yes. (laughs) And it's great because you're like, oh, and she's like, oh, Klaus. And how everything's been set up so far is just like, oh, my, they must have like a rekindled romance. But the very next page of like the first pages of issue three is like, Klaus, Dagmar, it's been a while. Oh, Klaus. And then panel flip. She smacks him across the face. You killed my father. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty great. You killed my father, you bastard. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's tropey in the good way and that you're familiar with it. So they don't have to do a lot to set up like the path, because like, you know, immediately what the whole story between these two is. Mm-hmm. We get a like, flashback of it anyway. <laughs> we get a flashback of yeah. it anyway, but like they don't have to, you know, like it it can afford to be just a small like chunk of that volume and then they can move on because yes, of course it was Magnus who actually poisoned the previous Aaron. No one was surprised. Even Dagmar when she finds out is not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Magnus had fabricated evidence that it was actually the head of the guard who was Klaus, who had been the one to uh, poison him. Thus, he gets tossed out and becomes a wild man. We do have a flashback of how Klaus Klaus is superhero origin story. They (laughs) found a young baby cradled in the arms of a woman who had been frozen to death. And by frozen to death, I mean this woman was made of ice. (laughs) Yeah. Yet the baby lived. How can this be? And was taken to Grimsveld, where he grew up and became friends with Dagmar, who is daughter of the Baron. He also gave him the name Klaus, which in our language means savior of the people. <laughs> Victory of the people. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Klaus becomes like the young head of the guard. They've heard reports of like wolves attacking people. So they go out and kill a few wolves and Klaus hears something. He goes over to a bush and finds a puppy that we later find out is Lily. So cute. It is very cute. They're like, Captain Klaus, is something over there? No, it must have just been my imagination. And then cut back to 
Magnus poisoning the Baron. So Klaus is literally saving puppies. <laughs> <laughs> whilst whilst Magnus is doing his evil villain shenanigans. We're kind of skipping over my favorite bit, though, which is uh, in the like childhood flashback of Klaus making the toy bird for uh, Dagmar. Uh, we get cut into the um, castle walls where looking through a window, looking exactly like Johannes is young uh, Magnus going like, I would do anything for her to love me as she loves you. And we get like the weird speech bubble echoing anything. Oh, yes, she will be mine. But yeah, uh, then Magnus commits regicide. Uh, <laughs> uh huh. It's a thing that happens. Like, it's something that's like will have popped up in the art throughout this. But I think I think um, Puppy Lily is the point where um, like it's around here where you see some of the most expressive uh examples of her facial expressions like you know if you've ever owned a dog you know how expressive dogs can be like you you if you have you know lived with a family dog you can understand like the words that they're thinking in you know in a sense and the art of lily does that too so well it's not just like look at this cute dog it's that she actually has like the body language of a dog i'm pretty sure there's a time skip between when he saves those puppies and when he gets banished and when he yeah i think so because he goes out into the woods and i think the thing that was like the most expressive i saw of lily is um he's he's like he's been chased away similarly to the way he was in the beginning of the uh in the first uh issue and uh lily finds him and he's like oh uh I've run into a wolf, just finish it already. And she walks over and sits down in front of him. And like, as she's like looking at him, she has like the ears back and then the ears perk up when she recognizes him and stuff like that. And like, she has like all of that wordless uh, recognition of someone that she knows. And uh, she takes him to. Was the cabin already there when he had been banished or did he make the cabin? She I takes him away to save him. I don't think that's established and I don't think they care. Which is fair. <laughs> yeah. Like, the the point is she takes him somewhere to like heal up and get warm and survive is the point of that scene. Which also kind of begs the question, like, why has he not been back to um uh Grimsvelg if that's the nearest town and he's a woodsman? Like <laughs> His story is very dark for how casually he just strolls back into town, you know? <laughs> right? Like he was exiled supposedly on the on like charges of regicide, like he murdered the baron. He did all the he did something so incredibly wicked. And he just wanders back into town. <laughs> I would not be surprised if I heard this story was written an issue at a time. But oh yeah absolutely i that don't think that's bad <laughs> like it's yeah oh. no it's it's the kind it's it's one of those it's one of those fridge logic moments where you realize that doesn't quite line up but it doesn't like take away from the meaning of the story so yeah it, it doesn't break the meaning of the story and it doesn't break the enjoyment so i just let it slide yeah, strictly speaking, it's one of those ones where, strictly speaking, maybe he went to other towns and he just decided to go back to Grimsvel because it was around Yule time and he thought enough time had passed or something. They won't remember me anymore. I'm a dead man. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, it, was, it, it, was, it doesn't quite make sense, but yeah, let it slide. 
it, it was around the end of issue two. I started reading everything Klaus said in Duke Nukem's voice, <laughs> <laughs> which might be a disservice to the character because he's actually much smarter than Duke Nukem. But the amount of one liners he has, <laughs> the one liners combined with the character design. I understand why your mind went there. <laughs> And a merry Yule time to you too, asshole. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, upon hearing this story, uh, Dagmar kind of gets knocked out of her like weird Stockholm syndrome. I don't care about anything personality and goes like, oh, huh? No, that actually makes a lot of sense. I'm not that surprised. You know, also actually, actually reflecting on it. How did I fall for that? I mean, I I don't know. There's I got some theories on why Dagmar would have fallen for that. But like, um, like the, the main takeaway she has is like, you know, I've been kind of a bad mom to my son. Mm. I should go rectify that. Yeah, I'm going to go bond with him. One of the best scenes in I think in the whole thing, and it has a lot of really great scenes near the end. But like, this is the point where when I mentioned like there's these three antagonistic characters who are like set up as obvious, like know it at a glance. They're the villains villains. Dagmar had been like you had been seeing behind that mask that she had put on at this point. She's like, OK, I'm not a bad guy anymore. I'm the I'm the leading lady of this story. Uh, that's totally changed. And that's not that surprising. But the thing I really liked is when they let Johannes smile, he doesn't look that evil anymore despite the yeah. black clothes and black hair like that. This is the best example. Uh, and the thing that I noticed most of he he looked like such a villain almost entirely because he was, you know, like, you know, that's what he was taught. That's how he was raised and all that stuff. But also it was because of like what he was like choosing to present to the world. And when, mm -hmm. you know, he stops being a little gremlin, you know, He's not so bad anymore. And then you remember that this is a literal child. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he's got the he's got the villain clothes and the long black hair and the sour expression. But he's a kid. It can be evil and narcissistic. Kids can be evil. Kids can also be good. But mostly evil. <laughs> Jay, are you saying that you would warlock for the Krampus? No. Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely that's, not. That's where the line gets drawn. I'm, uh, I, I can't even begin to feel sorry for the events that transpire with Krampus because it's like, oh my god, we'll get, we'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, we we've tipped the hand a little bit, uh, but you should have already done the reading by this point. The yeah. Krampus appears. The Krampus is the final boss, which is amazing. Yes, it comes full circle. We have. Yes, it might be the most beautiful thing I've seen in my entire life, but we'll get <laughs> but we'll get to that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, it really is a cool moment where uh, Dagmar realizes I really haven't been mothering my child. I should maybe go do that. And it like and the, lifts the, this veil on poor Johannes. And the art of two, the art of the two of them gets noticeably like softer and cuter. Mm hmm. Like they, they have been drawn in this very severe. Uh, the magic of Yuletide. <laughs> you all know what the gritty Western realism, grimdark comic style looks like. That's what the whole Magnus family had been drawn as. But in this moment of the two of them just being mother and son playing with playing imagination with some toys, 
it's much softer. There's fewer lines that it's cute. And then Magnus himself shows up and everything gets friggin' shadowy and depressing again. It's one of those moments where you realize no one ever really taught Johannes how to like just be a kid because it's like he, he gets the little bird toy and he decides it's a dragon that will destroy all of the burninate all the people. And uh, Dagmar is like, well, what if we didn't do that? <laughs> Uh, well, it's I, also very interesting and raises questions into how he was being raised is the yeah. fact that his father was not also indoctrinating him to be apprentice or, or, yeah, exactly. So there was no, oh, he's just uh, trying to follow after his father's footsteps. But at the same time, his mother also wasn't wasn't doing anything to wasn't stop doing that. anything. You know, at, at his age, I don't know exactly how old he was, but it was kind of like, what is the type of education? You know, he's a young he lord. Can't be, he can't be more than 10. Yeah, but I mean, he's still a young lord. And it's yeah. just kind of it was very odd for him to literally just be sitting up in a castle playing, quote unquote, with toys all day. Mm -hmm. It's age. a screwed up family is the thing that we're getting at here. I think one of the most illustrative things is that Jonas almost certainly was never taught the like the basic facets of imagination. And, you know, being the spoiled little brat uh, spawn of a tyrant, everything was done for him. That's probably why he thought that the toys, despite how well crafted they are, were crap because they didn't do what he said just because he said it. And then Dagmar comes in like, like, no, you can make up the story on your own. It takes a little more effort on your part, but it's much more fun and satisfying. And they have fun playing pretend. Imagination is what make toys work, everyone. Imagination. <laughs> that's that's the spirit of Yule time for you. Yeah. And and then we cut to a, uh, a workers uprising being violently put down in the mines. Men die. <laughs> men die horribly. And many and how many times are they told that legitimately? I don't care if you die. Like they're told flat out, I will kill you. Your lives are nothing. You they will mean nothing if not. Keep if they digging until you die. If you resist, we'll kill you. It'll just be a suitor death. <laughs> like, like legitimately, yes. I think there is a line where one person says you're working us to death. And the person's like, so? Yes. Yeah, they basically reply with and question mark. Uh, because, again, no subtlety at all. Uh, but we do see that one of the guards, you know, seeing this brutal put down of rebellion. Uh, he, he's got a whole panel to look real sad about it. <laughs> he's the current head guard, I believe. Yeah, I, I forget what his like rank is. He's like captain or sergeant or something. More and more of the workers are hearing the free me, free me, free me coming from the coal. It's the black wavy speech bubble with a red outline around the black and red text because Krampus. <laughs> and, and the the head guard like drinks himself into a stupor and stumbles home to find Klaus sitting before his fire going. I'm throwing a Yuletide party and everyone's invited. <laughs> that that's actually the line. <laughs> like I did it in the Duke Nukem voice. That's real dialogue. <laughs> 
we meet again, Carl. If, if I haven't gotten this across yet, I love this comic. <laughs> I respect it so much for committing to the bit. I think one of the one of the important things is um, whilst all this is going on, uh, Klaus has switched to kids are sending their toy wishes up through their chimneys on the heat of the fire for them to get out. And then mm. Klaus collects them and then he sends the toys down the chimney a la, you know, this is how this is the origin story of Santa. He'll be coming down the chimney. And uh, this this point when he's meeting the current head of the um, city guard, he's been doing that for a while because they've been uh, stepping up their attempts to try to catch him. So he's he's just on the rooftops now because this wasn't already enough of a superhero comic. <laughs> Well, the, the meeting with the city guard is basically just uh, any scene of Commissioner Gordon and Batman. And Batman, yeah. Yeah, it really do be. Because we've been having uh, interstitial scenes throughout, like as we've been leading up, that the city guard uh, captain currently is an old guy who um, really regrets what's going on with this. Uh, in the scene where Klaus escapes initially, he's the one going like, I'm not going to take bets on whether or not an innocent man dies and the people who directly report to him are like well we're going to kill him anyway and he's just like i have nothing to do to stop you i guess the baron decides everything i am powerless i'm gonna go over here now (laughs) (laughs) have we mentioned that this was written by grant morrison one of the most famous batman writers (laughs) (laughs) see that just shows how out of it i am i did not know that Look, I have attained infinite respect for Mr. Morrison through this. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he'll be coming down the chimney as Klaus is continuing his Santa work. But uh, alas, Magnus has gone from dictator to mad dictator as he walks in on Dagmar and Jonas k- dragging a giant sword along the ground. <laughs> this don't... scene... <laughs> You don't understand. The king is coming to kill me for being such a tyrant. But the voice in the Black Rock has given me strength. I just need Jonas to deliver the Santa into my trap. I'm doing this for you, Dagmar. <laughs> and she's backing away from the crazy person because she's yeah. <laughs> she's woken up at this point. Love that, like, even though she's backing up from the crazy person, there's still like a look of concern in her face. Like, oh, Magnus, what's what's going on there? What's gotten into you? Just like, calm down, please. It's a it's a real subtle emotion, but I appreciate it's still there. Like, uh yeah, because because she has spent however many years of her life with him. And the other thing that is made pretty clear over the course of this is that he has been getting progressively crazier. I can imagine a situation where, you know, like she always should have known better that it wasn't Klaus, but Magnus who had done the regicide. But like, you know, I mean, she that was that's her husband. <laughs> That's the father of her child. One thing that they they make very clear is that like uh, Johannes's parentage is like never in question because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't do he's the a, he's a mini me of be, yeah, exactly. Why would he even be in question? Well, no one else in town looks like that. Well, no, because I mean, there's there's the thing where it's like, oh, uh, you know, Dagmar and Klaus shared a night before he got banished or something like that. That's some other, you know, that that like could have been used as a plot point but it's not like that it's their family they are 
a family and they have to live with each other like that's not you know ever they don't they don't skirt that around for an unnecessarily happy ending yeah and i do appreciate that meanwhile as as magnus is having his uh hp lovecraft protagonist rant (laughs) uh klaus is busy beating up guards in the mine and saying that only one man has to work at yule time and that's me now go i'm going to create a fake fire in the mine so you all can leave as a big distraction you're really doing a disservice to these lines with the duke duke meat. i i am and i feel kind of bad about it but the thing is the thing is that does work for the duke nukem voice it's not klaus but that does actually sound right for the Duke Nukem voice. Klaus is more so like literally Batman line reads. Like yeah, Klaus is Klaus is far more Batman than Duke Nukem. But like, I understand why your mind goes there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Th- legitimately, the panel of him going, "Only one man works at Yule time, and that's me." <laughs> That's also when the men of the mine go like, no, lead us, Cla- lead us, Santa. You are the great white spirit. You can help us. And it's just like, you're the ghost wolf of Yule time. You can save us. And Klaus just flat out goes like, guys, no, I, I am I not a mortal. <laughs> That's, this is a dumb idea. I'm just trying to keep people happy. Like, come on. I'm, I make toys. I am. I'm not a savior yet. I make toys. I'm not a savior. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but but they they do take the distraction of the 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 flameless smoke to pretend that the mine is on fire so they can all run. Um, how many times does this uh repeat the phrase um smoke does not always mean fire? It's at it, least a half a dozen. Yeah, it's said a lot. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely going for a theme with it. Though uh, the page after that, we do get my absolute favorite line out of Dagmar, where like uh, Magnus is in the middle of his like third act villain breakdown. Mm-hmm. It's like I I followed the voice in the black rock. I became a servant of this sleeping god. I admit it now. I did this so that we could be wed. Did you even truly love me? And she says, perhaps I fell for your wit, your cleverness and your impressive cheekbones. <laughs> Man, I actually really love this scene too because it's he's he's essentially saying like he's having a breakdown that he's doing whatever he can because he's he's at the point where he's realized either the people are going to rise up and overthrow him and then kill him and his ch- wife and child is what he reasonably fears will happen <laughs> or he needs to fast track it to summoning his demon friend and like in the process of this, he's doing this all to save the three of them, but he kind of goes into like the full guilt breakdown of, yes, I killed your father. Yes, I did a lot of stupid shit. And like the main thing is, I'm pretty sure you've never really loved me. If you have ever felt love for me, it was probably it was only because a demon made you. And Dagmar just goes, no, that's dumb. I did love you at one point. There are reasons I would have loved you that weren't mm-hmm. like I was like magically coerced into it. Like the one thing about Dagmar that gets brought up repeatedly is she's not just a damsel in distress. She had like a lot of ideas. She Mm. wanted to lead. She's got like a a lot of ambition. And what she says is like, maybe when I was young and more naive, the like, like the impression, the, 
I, I neglected to say ambition because what she says to him is like, I really loved your ambition. Like mm-hmm. you wanted things and you took them and that was attractive to me at a young age. However, oh, yeah. as it's been revealed to me, what it is at its source is its cruelty and that I'm not into. And like, oh yeah, like I, I memed, I memed on the cheekbones line because mm-hmm. obviously it's there for the joke. It's it's funny. The immediate next line is your arrogant strut appealed to me when I was young and ambitious. And like, that's a legitimately really hard line. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good scene because it's essentially saying, no, I'm not some mind controlled prize of you. I had agency in my own story. I regret where it is now. I chose this just as much as you did. It's like, mm-hmm. that's a big theme of Klaus is like, what you decided because that's the other thing i absolutely love is she doesn't she her like what you would get in a lesser comic would be like oh the big hero comes in and like wants to fight your husband like the like lesser comic would be like oh yeah she's immediately going to run away with him dagmar's immediate response is you know i should be a better mother mm-hmm. yeah and like great cool you have responsibilities you've committed to you don't just get to that's a that's a real thing that's important around the holidays. Your family is your family. Like just because a uh, red and white Batman over here shows up doesn't mean that, you know, you're not married anymore or that you're not a mother anymore. You know, regardless of, you know, what your eyes have been open to. Which is really what I love about the subtlety of emotion. Like even though she acknowledges Magnus killed her dad, like there is still a level of she still does like Dagmar. Dagmar does still care for Magnus and like really seems to acknowledge he is sick. Mm-hmm. Like there there's a level yeah. of like there's like anger at what he's done and what he's doing. And she like says, I utterly resent you. But like the majority of what she feels to him when they are talking alone is pity. Mm-hmm. Obey the voice or die. Because and what like, else does the voice tell you to do, Magnus? What will happen when you've done its mighty work? I just love how Magnus in this scene is defined by his fear. He has mm-hmm. done everything because he is terrified. He had one little inkling when he was a child that he was going to lose the girl he had a crush on because this, frankly, Jesus, born of the ice. <laughs> yes. His Lex Luthor origin story was, I cannot compete with Santa. I can't <laughs> compete with Jesus. I just love, he's defined by fear and... He has that like classic villain thing I love every time it comes up where you keep doing more and more horrible things because you've already done one horrible thing and you are terrified that if anything ever comes to like consequences, you are going to lose everything. So double down. Never accept consequences for your actions. Always do everything you can to avoid them. Keep doubling down. Uh, you, you can't go back now. You can't pay off this debt. Keep doubling down. You'll win eventually, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. And as all that is happening. Oh, is this a scene where he comes out with a sword and Dagmar has to just go, you can't lift that over your head. You can barely get it off the ground. And he's like, I'll ask the demon for strength. Uh, th- th- yes. this, actually, this actually comes after that moment. Yeah, this is how that moment's. Uh, this moment started. Oh, but I love that uh, scene. <laughs> it, it is great. This moment actually ends with the guards coming in like, hey, we got the Santa. We have one of my favorite narrative conventions of playing with time, where we have perspective character number one who's experiencing things in real time, air quotes, 
and perspective character number two, who is reacting to what has already happened in perspective character one's future. As we have the colliding perspective of uh, Klaus going to answer a letter uh, and Dagmar learning that the trap has been sprung, the Santa has been caught. Uh, yeah, because one the the thing that Magnus had done, uh, the reason why he wanted to speak with uh, Johannes was uh, the Santa only uh, responds to the letters of children. So my son, write a letter to write a letter to him so oh. that we can lay it thick with traps. Yeah, I was about to say, let's lay it thick as a good choice of words here, because uh, one of the moments that really tested my suspension of disbelief was that uh, Klaus believed this letter at all. <laughs> there... Well, I mean, immediately, immediately he like responds like, ha. Huh. <laughs> I can't believe what He's, I'm reading right he, now. He laughs at one point. In regards to, in the context of the story, he says, um, the mine collapsed, or no, the house collapsed and killed my father, leaving us homeless without, and only my mother. And we see, ha, from Klaus, and I'm like, oh, so he knows this is a trap. Weird place to put that, ha, but okay. Mm -hmm. And then proceeds to go into the trap, despite the rest of the letter literally has, like, at one point, a pun about, like, oh, yes, wouldn't it be terrible if you were captured? But I mean, that was... I took it as if that was his intention to fall into the trap. Like he knew it was a trap, but at the same time, he his overconfidence was his uh, slow and insidious killer. Yes, it doesn't do a good job of conveying that if that was the idea. <laughs> he does just fall into the trap completely. <laughs> my favorite part of the letter is um, uh, only my aged mother is left. Please do be quiet when coming into the house. She's quite old. The slightest shock could kill her. Yeah, it's those kind of double entendres that's just like, okay, Klaus, you, uh... Mm -hmm. it, it has a whole lot of the player characters have been rolling hot all night and willingly walk into a problem energy. <laughs> Well, alternatively, this is the reason why Klaus didn't want to lead a rebellion, because it turns out he's not all that bright. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he walks into the trap and uh, he gets walks... shot full of flaming poisoned arrows. <laughs> yep. As it's revealed, the uh, old woman in the rocking chair was the captain of the guard who has been bound and gagged. Mm hmm. And is dead? No, he's not. No, dead. he's alive. OK, because he looks up. He looks uh, Commissioner Gordon looks up at Batman. I mean, <laughs> Carl, is that you? Klaus tries to run away, but he's shot full of poisoned arrows. The people uh, he, he doesn't really have a Spider-Man moment because uh, some of the people are like, I can get ahead if I turn in the Santa. He's in here. He over here. My, one of my favorite panels is a guard saying, he's real, he bleeds. <laughs> because for the longest time, Klaus has been pretty elusive. And like, they these, thought he was a ghost. <laughs> these are medieval age guards living in a middle of nowhere, uh, far north town where packs of wolves are, are a real and present threat. So... A man who is so elusive, he you're not even entirely sure he's actually there, who seems to be associated with a giant of a white wolf in the winter snow. Yeah, I'd think it's a ghost, too. <laughs> Seeing it bleed would give me some confidence. Klaus does actually find some assistance in 
uh, one of the children he had given toys to. Uh, it's also uh, the child he saved on the first day he came into Grimsvelg. I thought so. Yeah, it's a little blonde haired boy. On the first day of Klaus. <laughs> uh, doesn't Lily also arrive to help uh, carry him out? Only once uh, the the youngster has gotten them beyond the walls, which is good because all of the other kids in town are being kidnapped by the guards for reasons undisclosed. Well, the the excuse they give is like, we must keep them safe from the Santa because he did just take a child. Yeah. He was saving that child, but they, they, they immediately like without context. We got to keep the children safe. Load them up into the wagons. Don't mm-hmm. take our children. We're keeping them safe from the Santa. That that doesn't make any sense. Shut up. <laughs> it is the Baron's order. Yeah, because Magus, uh, he had his like last conversation with uh, the demon in the coal and was just like, no, if I that's a step too far. If I do that, they'll revolt. And then. All of this stuff is pushing him forward. I guess this is what I need to do. Because Magus is not a great guy, but it's Magnus, isn't it? Magnus. He was fantastic. Magnus isn't a great guy, but he does have a line in the sand he does not want to go over. And like, (laughs) this is it because. Well, in all honesty, I think I think the sort of important thing is he's had many lines in the sand, uh, you know, some of them being, uh, you know, drawn thicker than others. Mm -hmm. And for people like this, there's always that line you think you won't cross until you're, you know, forced to make a decision. I I think the big thing is this is the line in the sand. Like what he's done is he's made a deal with this demon that he will become king of the land. He has said that out loud, I think, to Dagmar. Freaking like, and this is my problem, this entire scene. He is a demon. What, what, how is he so inclined after anything to make you whatever? Well, here's, that, he, here's the thing. The search for power will make you blind. Yes. Magnus, at the very least, believes the demon is keeping his end of the bargain a lot of the time. Like, he asks dumb. it for strength, and I guess he gets it. He asks it for Dagmar's love, and he gets it. I don't think the demon ever gave him anything. Exactly. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. The demon gave him confidence, which caused him to, like, get Dagmar's attention. The demon gave him confidence that allowed him to, like, actually stand up to people. Yes, it's kind of like if someone gave you, like, a, a, a new dog or something, and the dog made you feel confident, outgoing, you know, you gravitate towards other dog people, and you're just That's what great. people always say. If you're trying to meet women in a new city, you get a demon. <laughs> <laughs> women always love you. They see you walking your demon, they're like, oh, you made a pact with a demon? Ooh. <laughs> That's what I've been doing wrong all these years. Damn yes. it. Yes. Go get your go get yourself a demon. Girls like demons, Sam. You just gotta go. Dang it. Hold on, Sam. You're just gonna find you're just gonna find you're meeting a whole different kind of woman that you don't want to be associated with. Or the type with. of woman that he does want to meet. Look. You will have to remember this is Sam. Yeah. Hey! Sam. It will Sam. be instead of Russian assassins, you'll get Look. a different kind of woman, Look, is what Sam, I'm saying. Here's what I'm just saying. How about you give it a few days? It's Christmas right now. Probably wait until like the weekend after Christmas or like oh, New Year's. That's because, awful. Because what happens is a bunch of people get demons as Christmas presents and don't really want them. So they just go straight to the pound. <laughs> yeah, they go straight back to purgatory. And you can get a good deal on them and give it a forever home in yep. your soul. Yes. 
Everyone, please remember, adopt your demons. Don't get them from a breeder. Spay and neuter your extra dimensional entities. Anyway, where the f Christmas has gotten weird lately, man. I'm confused. Look, hey, COVID ruined a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Anyway. This is my gift to you. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. I'll treasure it for years to come. Klaus goes back to the cabin and heals up with his forest juice. Forest magic medicine. Hallucinogenic juice that seems to be made mostly of mushrooms when we see him make it. (laughs) Mushrooms and strangely moldy tree bark. It works, so uh, I won't judge. It does something. Unfortunately, the SS showed up. (laughs) And yes. They stake Klaus onto the ice of the frozen lake and steal away the little blonde boy. Also, Sam, you need to mention, they do rip off his shirt. <laughs> Look, Matt, I was trying not to be the horny one for once. <laughs> Gotta get that fan service in. They do rip his shirt off, though. The pecs are rippling. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I lost it there. <laughs> Look, if it wasn't for the frostbite, it would be a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Some Something about necrotized flesh because of the biting cold just doesn't do it for me. I know that comes as a shock to you all after 40 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Funny how necrotized flesh is cool in all other instances. Just the biting cold is off limits. <laughs> No, the biting cold is the... Go- We're moving on. <laughs> the point is, the children have been rounded up and are being fattened up with candy because we've turned into Hansel and Gretel at some point. Like, literally, <laughs> the children are kept in a room that has just, like, a whole on, like, um feeding trough of candy constantly being pumped in. Yeah, it's quite something. Because and- um the, the ya boy that ran away with Klaus was captured and brought back. Uh, and one of the guards <laughs> says, um, you're, you, you're late. You're going to have to eat fast. You've got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> he walks in works. the room and he's like, does nobody find this suspicious? This small child. <laughs> uh, uh, one little girl, cheek, uh, like face stuffed with candy goes, I don't know, it's pretty tasty. <laughs> I love this kid. <laughs> These naughty children are being fed on sweets and treats and pastries. Greedy little children, selfish and spoiled. Fat, fat, greedy children. I feel like I feel like the blonde kid who comes in late might go by the name of Gick Dayson. Damn it. I was I, I was going to make the jerk joke earlier that um, if uh, Klaus actually adopted um, Magnus's kid after he takes over the kingdom, it's just like, ah, yes. And everyone remembers Santa's a biological son who's always kind of edgy. Damien Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it is Grant Morrison. Anyway, Matt, you called Klaus Jesus earlier, and now he's actually been reborn. <laughs> yeah. So 
Oh my god, I love the scene as he's tied there on the ice. Uh, the His heart literally freezes in his chest. The other thing that we didn't mention, and it makes me sad I have to be the one to bring it up, but they also, poor Lily. They, they do shoot Lily. That yeah. makes me very sad because she is a very good pupper. But um, Klaus is tied to the ice and snow and the spirits of um, the frost and forest. I forget what their exact thing is, but it's like. Yeah, it's frost and forest. Is it frost? It's either frost and forest or like cold and forest. Mm -hmm. It's something it, like it's, that. It's along those lines. But uh, anyway, they come out and I love their dialogue because it's like they speak in like this melodic thing that then becomes English for like these single words that they like piece together in a sentence because like it's hard for them to speak English, I guess. And they just keep going like, sorry, young, are young, young did bad, make right, make right make right and it's like what's going on here and they're like oh no the, like the whole thing is like oh that demon is an evil spirit and these are good spirits because mm -hmm. um uh the the kid has a conversation with santa specifically about the evil spirit or uh, about the good spirits in the forest and he's like well what about evil spirits and Klaus is like i don't know maybe because uh the good spirits live out here on the ice and in the forest it's like where do evil spirits live I don't know, maybe the hearts of men. That That is basically what he says, and I appreciate that line a lot. <laughs> it is a good line. Turns out they actually live in coal mines, which eh, that make that also tracks. Look, all I'm saying is that as as a card carrying member of the HP Lovecraft Society, I really appreciate a unknowable spiritual entity being sealed within a black rock. <laughs> <laughs> that that hits all the notes i don't care that it's the krampus when you look at it it it's a it's a friggin cthulhu <laughs> but like i do like that's the explanation for how um klaus gets his powers is they bring him back to life because they are super sad that their the reason he died was because of their um their their own black sheep Everything that their child has done specifically, they say they're young. They don't speak in full sentences, so it's kind of hard to grasp. But I had to read it a few times to like fully get what they were saying. Mm. But like it's um, they are doing this as payment for, hey, uh, Grimsvelg is uh, a lot of people died. I think that's our fault a yeah. little. It's um, <laughs> the spirits are the shining family, according to Klaus. and. We the Krampus is the black sheep of the family. He's so much larger than everyone. Is that supposed to be symbolic for how much hatred or how much negative energy he's absorbed? I think so. He also wears the goat mask, mm -hmm. which covers the weird face. But is the goat mask weirder than the face? I thought they were both equally weird, and therefore it was confusing. <laughs> That's a fair point. I think we're I think we're getting too much into the weeds. The point the point is that the kids break free as the Krampus is rampaging, killing the king. Yeah, because the king got invited for the feast. And <laughs> the, the king showed up and said, Ah yes, Magnus, I know you've been a tyrant this entire time, and I'm here to depose you for being a tyrant. I'm here to arrest you. And like, why would you show up on the agreed upon day then? You could have showed up at any point with lots of men. Because it's rude. It's, it's the Yuletide. Everyone else has vacation. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to get a full squadron of men to show up during Yule time? 
But uh, in the meantime, uh, Magnus's response is, but wait, I have one more guest that needs to arrive. Yeah, and Magnus is, is totally unhinged at this point. His mind is gone. Oh, his entire speech is evil king sitting on the, no, please eat at the banquet. And then one of the king's men just goes like, I do love a banquet. And I'm like, dude, he... If anything, the food is poisoned. The food is definitely like, poisoned. He, he, no, he also says that it's poisoned. He says he's poisoned the food. Look at this man and tell me that food isn't poisoned. I will call you a liar. <laughs> but it turns out the... Uh, actually, yeah. was the food poisoned or not? We don't find out it, because the last does, guest it, arrives. It, it doesn't matter because Krampus shows up, this giant goat demon spewing fire from his maw, going, give me the naughty children, I will kill them. The most naughty child of all is here. Wait, hold on. What? No, no, that's, that's my son. That's my son, no! We made a deal. And my favorite line in this is um, when Magnus goes like, you, I freed you. You serve me. And Krampus stops attacking no. his son for like, oh. Magnus very specifically says, give me what I deserve. Yep. Yeah. He does say that well, a lot. And I'm, it's referring, like, no. I'm referring oh. to the scene that happens before that. Where he's like, like, hey, no, I order you. And Krampus stops beating up the sun to like do a weird hell turn. And it's like, you order me? Then do so, Magnus. Tell me what to do. And it's just like, you're not in control. I can do whatever I want. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Try. I'm going to keep doing what I want. You were never... And then just go never in control. I am no slave to you. You were just a slave to the voice in your head. Mm -hmm. And then mocks him for following his orders. Like whilst he's whilst he's trying to stuff uh, Johannes into the into the sack. Lickety clack. Get into the sack. <laughs> get into my sack. <laughs> yes. And I had to really did a, did a double take. <laughs> like this this Krampus design is so freaking cool I want to have the boss fight with this thing no you don't Jacob no you don't you want to you are gonna wish that food was poison <laughs> but like this is such a cool design but there's just something so like and like it's it's done with intention so this isn't a complaint but there's just something so comical about him with the sack Stuffing the child into it. <laughs> like, it looks wrong in every conceivable way. And yet, here we are. Uh, thankfully, the, the, the working man has risen up. And Gunnar, uh, father of uh, the, young, the young man who has been... Uh, uh, he goes, you're not killing my kids. And leaps onto Krampus's back and starts stabbing him with a pickaxe. And that's uh, that's how uh, Johannes gets out of the sack, too. Klaus rides in on a sleigh being carried, being dragged along by the wolves. Silver bells ringing. <laughs> Friggin', okay, okay. Krampus is something along the lines of... Uh, Naughty oh, oh. children, fat on sweets and candy. They deserve this. And Klaus is just like, Nothing what? can save you from me. We may have to disagree, evil one, as he raises his sword, lightning striking in the background. 
Oh, there's such a good like interplay between this. Like Klaus at one point goes like, tell me what any of those children deserve that like owe them a demon's wrath. And he's just like, all children are vile, selfish things. They are naughty. They are bad. And Klaus just gets his full on, like, full panel line of smacking um, Krampus. Like, there are no bad children. <laughs> <laughs> because Krampus has gotten onto his own sleigh and is riding away into the stars, promising to flay Jonas's skin from his bones and torture him forever in the dark void of space. His soul ripped apart by, like, the blackness of the of a dark hole or hold on it's with some real cthulhu it's really great we also skipped over everything magnus did in this which is probably a bit oh yeah 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 there is a bit before that where um this is fighting with krampus and the the three of us remembered comes up well no the one i wanted to talk about was how um he's doing that and for some reason, after Krampus said, I do not listen to you, I do whatever I want, um, Magnus stabs Klaus through the back with a sword. <laughs> yeah! As if that's going to be the thing that gets the demon back on his side. And then uh, Klaus just goes, oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't tell you, I'm immortal now. What? <laughs> BT dubs, guys, I'm immortal, I can't die. Well, Klaus falls, and that's when Magnus says, now give me what I deserve, and Krampus promptly barbecues him. Yeah, vomits <laughs> fire on him for two pages. <laughs> um, there, so, is a, there is a cool moment of um, Dagmar. Yeah. It's yeah, Dagmar, Dagmar and, like, Magnus is, like, standing up as a charred remains of flesh. Klaus is still down, and Dagmar actually picks up his sword, get away from my son, and has a cool moment. But then that's when Klaus is like, by the way, I'm immortal. <laughs> <laughs> and will, just gets up one thing i really liked from magnus though is like is as he's a charred husk and like off on the side of the thing the last thing he does say is someone please save my son yep yeah he's and a good, he's a good dad he was not about to sacrifice his son for power and well, glory he, you know he tries to be a good dad he he, he is a good dad in the way he feels he needs to be. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it, I think. Um, and that actually goes back to um, what I was saying about the way the three of them are framed as these like cartoonishly evil supervillains when you're first introduced to them. Magnus is an awful, awful person. He's not redeemable. He never could have been redeemed. He is, I would say, as bad as Krampus in a lot of ways. Because he does not see the error in his ways. He is so far gone. Yeah, he's unwilling to accept the consequences of his actions, but um, actually not quite as bad as Krampus, because the big difference between him and Krampus is that he was doing it for his family. Yeah, uh, it was Jacob, a family he stole, but Jacob, I was going to correct you there because I'm like, I don't think he's even on the same plane as Krampus because one of these people wants to eat fat children. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> one of them is a demon. Still, like, he's irredeemable, he's awful, you know, he is evil. There's no two ways around that, is sort of, is what I was trying to get at and clumsily uh, put. But despite that, that is the difference between the two of them. Like, one of them is a demon. Yeah. The other is a person who made mistakes and was unwilling to accept the consequences of his own actions. Yeah. And then we get to my favorite part 
on a on a pure coolness scale because Krampus is like, first I'll fly beyond the bonds of of the Borealis. The shining people who chained me in the rock will die on hooks among the stars. Then over the whole world I'll ride, hunting wicked children. I'll bring you to the burning rim of space and eat you raw. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, King in <laughs> Yellow. <laughs> okay, young Sothoth, calm down. But but Klaus jumps on the on the space sleigh of Krampus. Right before Klaus gets up, Krampus grabs Johannes and like materializes for himself a a, a sleigh. He uh he um corrupts uh uh Klaus's sleigh because yeah. he says okay. um it it is of the spirits and what are of the spirits is of me as well. And yeah, so it's basically he saying it. I am I am a spirit as well, but bad. <laughs> it starts off as like a normal, like a, a totally normal looking sleigh. Um, mm. when he goes into town, and then Krampus turns it into like this like metal monstrosity, <laughs> which looks awesome, by the way. It's so cool. It looks really cool. But uh, they're riding into the upper atmosphere and and Klaus is challenging Krampus and Krampus goes to breathe fire on him. But they're in they're in the upper atmosphere. There's no oxygen up here to burn. I'll give you this beast. You've made me want to laugh for the first time in too many years. You know what else is funny? Up here, your fires don't burn. And Klaus hacks off Krampus's head going Ho, ho, ho! Oh my god, that might be my favorite panel in this entire thing. <laughs> it is the most glorious, hammy, over-the-top thing I've seen in my entire life. I don't think anything will top it. <laughs> but, like, the hammy gloriness continues because once Krampus is defeated and, like, dematerializes or whatever, uh, the, the sleigh transforms into this, like, really ornate. Oh, my, fa my favorite part is that uh, they're falling down from basically low orbit. Uh, Klaus grabs Jonas and <laughs> becomes a burning meteor that smashes through the church. <laughs> which has both of them survive. <laughs> or, and, wait, uh, or wait, is that the Krampus's body that's the meteor? I don't know. I thought I thought they rode down on the sleigh. I think that was Krampus that uh, that crashed. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. <laughs> the point <laughs> is that it's amazing. <laughs> With that, Christmas is saved. Mm -hmm. We end on a, a cute little scene of it starts off with um, that Yuletime celebration, but it goes through the years as uh, everyone but uh, Klaus ages. Mm -hmm. Kind of sad. It, it's got real Simone and Nia energy. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. It's true, though. <laughs> I'm right, but I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Eventually, like, Jonas has grown up to take the Baronship throne, and Dagmar has, you know, lived a long life and, you know, passed quietly and peacefully. We leave it off with uh, Klaus saying to uh, Jonas that uh, he's going to bring Yuletime cheer to the whole world. And uh, off, off flies uh, incredibly jacked Santa on his be on his sleigh being pulled by uh, four by foot wolves. tall wolves. I, I love how incredibly jacked Santa, in order to like um, portray how 
he's uh what how the myth is what it is um shows that despite the fact he is now incapable of aging and is stuck permanently in his current form uh, it shows as he flies snow gets caught in his beard which makes it white <laughs> yeah that's why he has the white hair and beard and we have an absolutely glorious final splash page of santa riding off into space <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> that is Klaus, how Santa began. Oh, so we've come to the end of our reading, my friends. Favorite character. You know, I was gonna say Klaus, but ultimately I think Dagmar might have been my favorite character by the end of this discussion. Yeah, I agree. Sh like, Klaus was always... Because he's Santa. He was always going to be the very virtuous and kind man the very generous person who was generous to an absolute fault and made everything better. That was just the way it was going to be. I don't care how gritty you made it. That was what Klaus was going to be. Dagmar had a whole ass character arc that was more like detailed and thought about than so many character arcs that happen in the majority of Western comics. Particularly for a female character. There, I said it. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But yeah, Dagmar was great. Uh, Jake, favorite character? One of the things is, I loved all of the characters. I loved Dagmar for all the reasons stated. Um, I really liked Klaus because, um, in spite of the fact that part of the joke was the fact that we're doing grim and gritty Santa with a sword, he still managed to be Santa. And Magnus and Krampus are excellent villains for different reasons. But I think Johannes is actually my favorite character because there's something so relatable about a kid taught to be bad but then, like, he's he's shown another way. He's, you know, he's taught to be better. And it doesn't flip instantly. Mm -hmm. He still makes mistakes. He still does bad things. Mm -hmm. But he feels regret and he makes himself better for it. I identify with that so much. That's oh. that. I loved uh, Johannes all through like you know when he was the little snarling little monster all the way up to when you see him as an adult and you know fulfill his destiny properly yeah and you probably want like maybe one or two story arcs with him maybe even like klaus dies and there's another guy who takes up the role of klaus and he's got to be the sidekick to this new guy who doesn't know how to be klaus but it's a whole new mantle he's tim allen is dick grayson in this i just realized <laughs> <laughs> so, so matt favorite character oh you you know i'm a sucker for like villains who aren't just pure evil they're like afraid and are like overcompensating for the like magnus as much as he's hammy i love the lengths they go to explain the hamminess like mm. there's there's a lot of like sympathy is probably too strong a word but like sympathetic is enough like there is it goes out to explain why he did what he did. Sucks that he did it. He shouldn't have, but like... It's not least... an excuse or a justification, but it's but there, a reason. It's a thought process. And like, I don't know. The one thing I absolutely loved is at the end, it's the demon gave him no powers. Like, I think that's a pretty clear reading. And I yeah. love the fact that he got everything he wanted initially. And then because he had killed someone to do it he did not believe he deserved it and then internalized that in i don't deserve anything i have it will all crumble away unless i keep digging 
Mm-hmm. Which, like, because there is still the case to be made that the Krampus did do things. Like, he was the one constantly telling someone to murder someone. Like, Magnus, like, did all of the stuff, but, like, Krampus was there. Like, the things wouldn't have happened if Krampus wasn't constantly pushing. It had a hand in it, but it doesn't absolve um, Magnus no. of his responsibility. There's there's a difference between responsibility and... Um, Participation. Blame, I guess I want. Yeah. Like, the person to blame for this situation is Krampus. They're mm. the one who enacted it. Unfortunately, spirits can't be responsible for anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Jay, your favorite character. So, um, I would have to say that... Um, I'm drawing a blank. They did not like any of the characters. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm drawing a blank on the names. Lady, what? Dagmar. Dagmar. Yes. I, I, for some reason in my brain, I can't equate that as someone's actual first name. <laughs> um, but yeah, it she's... took me a while to figure that name out myself. It's the yeah. name of the wife of uh, the king in um, uh, Disenchantment. I'm the only one who watched that. Okay, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did not watch that at all. Uh, but yeah, she's my favorite character just because I think, as Sam mentioned, experienced the most character growth. Um, we got the opportunity to see how she had a very normal, uh, what we would expect of a childhood. She was very accepting, very um, strong, and, and was very earnest. And obviously that carried her so far until unfortunately, in a sense, she became, well, not exactly corrupted, but kind of blinded by, you know, the influence and um, the power she was afforded through her connection with her husband. And then her eyes were later opened to the fact that this power and influence was damaging not only herself but also her son and then was able to return back to this and the community she proclaimed to care about Mm -hmm. exactly and then she was able to return back to no i need to do what's best for my son myself and my community and i need to go back kind of go back to my roots and um you know keep keep my eyes more open instead of just following um a personality. Yeah, because like there's a lot of I, I love to like as they're being surrounded by the townsfolk who like want to kill them. You do get that little bit from Dagmar going like, I don't know, we kind of deserve this. <laughs> like there is an acknowledgement that she probably could have done something <clears throat> at one point. Well, the other thing is she's willing to accept responsibility for her part in it, but she's like, but don't hurt my son. He didn't mm-hmm. do anything. I, I like how she says, when did we become tyrants? Because like legit, she's lived in the palace this entire time. How would she know? But then she sees it and she's like, oh, we've be- oh, he wasn't just a tyrant to us. Oh, he was a tyrant to everybody. And I should have I should have looked and seen. I think there's also like a willful ignorance from her. Like I, I, I think there is a level of responsibility in her field. In all honesty, oh yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, no, there, there is. But it's also understandable how she kind of ignored it. Yeah, she she turned a blind eye to her husband's frankly illness. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's favorite characters. Uh, uh, favorite feat of our boy Klaus. <laughs> Correction. Oh, holy night. Does this man do a lot? 
I gotta say, um, the entirety of issue two, where he goes full Metal Gear Santa, Sons of Christmas, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so I'm just gonna say all of issue two. <laughs> Go from there. Okay. Probably his most impressive feat is uh, the whole, um, his mother was literally made of ice by the time they found him, yet he was alive somehow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Magic things hadn't happened yet, presumably. Are, are we skimming over the fact he did make a magic toy as a child? <laughs> that, that's not immediately combat relevant, so it doesn't come up for a discussion as much, but like, that's a thing that happened. He's Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Matt here, I'll go. Uh, can I pick uh, when he gets stabbed through the back and f apparently only for dramatic effect, wakes back up like two pages later to go by the way i'm immortal now <laughs> <laughs> yes. stands back up like that didn't take asshole and jay your favorite feat of our band klaus hands down i said um resurrection um just because those were some of the most trippy scenes um <laughs> yeah but well that's not the uh, resurrection that's just getting high uh, <laughs> anyone can do that how do I obtain this power? But also, I want to say the fact that it was. I don't want to say out of the blue, but kind of out of the blue revealed that he's also a medicine man. You know, when he was yeah. about like on death to store, he's just like, I need to go back to my to my uh, my base, my home base. And then I literally my drugs. <laughs> yes. Because I don't think at any point that was, like, immediately revealed. Like, I honestly assumed that this, the forest spirits were healing him this whole time. No, he knows. He just knows how to do it. <laughs> he just knows how to do that. Trust us, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think that you take some inspiration from mall Santa's so that one of Santa's powers is just being able to, like, function normally while super high. Uh-huh. Buy it. Okay. <laughs> So obviously, I think you figured out over the course of this episode, dear listeners, that this comic stinks of ham. <laughs> it's got so much ham. It's got ham enough to put an entire pig farm out of business. Uh, excuse me, Sam. It's got enough ham to fill a dozen families Christmas dinners. <laughs> You're right. But we've also said each and every last one of us has said there's moments of super legit quality in this. Uh, instances of great story writing, very compelling characterization. And I, I just kind of want to talk about this sort of hamminess and quality coexisting like this. Actually, uh, had some thoughts about that one, because one of the things that I couldn't help but notice as I was reading this is things can be hammy and be extremely high quality. I think one of the big things is Hamminess and drama can fuse, and I don't think the hamminess of this story hurt the drama or vice versa. One thing I couldn't help but notice, though, is I don't think that they, I don't think that they particularly synergized well, because there were a lot of cases where um, I feel like the dramatic sections and the ridiculous wacky sections kind of felt like they were in their own boxes. The one thing that as we were discussing, I realized um, basically what I'm saying is you could have something with all of the same themes, but take away the explicitly Christmas stuff. But with that said, one of the things that I noticed is while we were discussing this 
is one of the really important elements of the story that I couldn't really put into words until we were talking about it, is how important a, a theme that family is, and that's a very holiday-specific thing. Mm -hmm. So whilst I still feel that the Santa, the the Christmas coat of paint feels a little unnecessary. That like the the drama doesn't particularly synergize well with the wacky crazy. They definitely don't hurt each other, and I think the reason why it works is probably because of that through line of family, particularly the uh, Magnus, uh, Dagmar, and Johannes. Like those three being almost like like Klaus is the main character, but the emotional core of the story is really those three. Yeah, and I think the, that's the reason why it doesn't clash. The emotional core of the story is essentially a broken family, not quite coming together. They do kind of come together at the end is really what Magnus's death is kind of like the forgiving incident for it. They mm -hmm. they come together as much as they can after everything that's happened. They also kind of do come together after like yeah. Dagmar realize Dagmar is real chill about her dad being murdered, which I think is her just having suspected it for a long time and having already come to terms with that. It's and also shockingly mature. It's it's very much like she looks at her husband and is like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You're really sick. There's not also I, I guess there's also a through line of this is a medieval society. He's king now. He's uh, not done anything illegal, I guess, like at he this makes point. the rules. Yeah, like. Like, she hits Klaus about it because she still thinks that he did it in that moment. That's the simple answer. And then she's given the much more complicated answer, and she has a much more complicated response. And, like, the, the through line of this story is, oh, man, my child's a monster. My husband's probably too sick for me to help at this point. Well, um, I mean, is there also just... I mean, when she's told that Magnus is the one who killed her father does she not at all question when the madness might have started because at no point does she say oh right he probably did have you know the inclination to kill my dad she doesn't say that out loud but the quickness with which she accepts that fact kind of leads me to believe it's just kind of like that would explain a lot is kind of the vibe i get from it somewhere in her subconscious she knew it but she was ignoring it sort of like the situation in uh grimsbell the cheekbones <laughs> ignoring the fact her husband has conversations with himself to an evil spirit uh because there were, that happened earlier before this conversation with klaus and she kind of brushes it off like did you say something no yeah, he's like he's like no you. look at my cheekbones <laughs> i don't think that's how this worked <laughs> <laughs> Look, every family's got its problems. Sometimes just the man of the house happens to have a pact with an evil demon. You know, we've yeah. all got problems. Yep. It, it happens. So but yeah, like the, the writing theme through this is family. And we don't really we didn't really talk about it. But like uh, the side characters of um, the boy whose name I forget, like his yep. dad work uh, working in the oh, mines. No. Oh, no. Uh, blonde hair kid. Yeah. 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 Like th their family is like a really crucial part of like sidelines and like le leading in like, um, hey, when's dad coming home? We're writing letters to Santa as the dad comes home from the mine and literally cannot even talk to them. He's so tired. He has enough energy to eat and then fall asleep. He's dead behind the eyes and the comic makes you look at that. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think that the fact that this was written by a very prominent Batman author is super obvious because it really just encapsulates all the best parts of 90s camp with all of the 
the legitimate quality that comes out of that. Th this is proof positive that you don't need to, as much as taking something super seriously can help it, you don't need to to write something compelling or well, meaningful. And, and or that, actu that actually goes back to something that I've mentioned in a couple of episodes that this podcast has helped me realize. There's a difference between something taking itself seriously uh, from the, you know, from an audience perspective and something internally taking itself seriously. This story doesn't do the family theming farcically. It doesn't do the uh, the particularly like dramatic, like like seeing Klaus because it's like, you know, I can make the jokes about I don't want to talk about the dog dying, but seeing Klaus getting murdered that way is pretty freaking harrowing. It's not, you know, it's not happy fun time. It's not exciting action. You feel that, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't do that as a joke or to be hammy. Um, it is taking itself internally seriously, even if it is ultra Jack Santa, uh, you know, trips with the forest spirits to revive from the yeah. dead. The, the concept of the comedy in this is entirely in the concept of what if we did a superhero origin for Santa with all of the tropes that entails. But then once it does that, it keeps that like concept serious in universe. Like mm -hmm. no characters question it. No one makes jokes about it. Like there's a maturity in that. Yeah. It's like someone legitimately was like, Someone obviously made it past the like, that's a stupid idea. That's inherently funny and ignored that part. Then got to the point where they make a superhero origin for Santa seriously, knowing that the very absurdity of the situation would be comedic enough. Mm -hmm. And it comfortably is. Like, it's fun. It's a fun Christmas story that I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I bought the physical copy for this, so uh, it's sitting on my shelf. And I, I think I would read this again next Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Normally, uh, at this point, we would say, "Would you continue reading?" But we have read everything that there is to offer, so uh, mm, not true. <laughs> really? Oh, there is there a sequel? There are sequels. Oh, oh my god! I would continue reading. I would continue reading. <laughs> Actually, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me look this up. I might have been wrong. Well, I, uh, but wait, I want to get to the Santa Incorporated arc. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there is Klaus: The New Adventures of Santa Claus. Oh my god. Oh, I think I know what we're doing next year. Yes. Oh, oh my God. There's Klaus, the life and times of Santa Claus, and the cover for it has Frosty the Snowman. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a new Christmas tradition, folks. <laughs> next time on Over Manga Christmas. <laughs> yeah, oh. no. Uh, but to actually answer the question, I would continue reading the other comics. And this is going on my list of Christmas traditions right next to Oxhorn's Christmas for Geeks, the World of Warcraft parody album. <laughs> uh, if you were wondering if we were nerds. <laughs> Look, I have listened to that entire album at least twice every year since it came out. <laughs> and I don't regret a goddamn thing. <laughs> But I yeah. must I must apologize. I am reading the description for Klaus, the life and times of Santa Claus. Uh, it is not Frosty the Snowman. It is Jack Frost from the movie Jack Frost. Oh, huh. because it's an absentee dad turned snowman. Amazing. The plot is so. Well, we have the answer from Jacob and myself. Uh, Matt, Jay, <laughs> would you continue reading? I would continue reading. 
I don't really have too many things Christmas traditions, so this would be a good drop in the bucket, a good start for me. Certainly a way to start a Christmas tradition. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I am currently adding the other two volumes into my Amazon cart. Uh, <laughs> or, or local bookshop cart. I mean, depending on whether or not Amazon has taken over the world by the time this airs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it could happen. All right. Thank you once again, everyone, for listening to the Over Manga Cast. You can find us on all of your social media platforms where we are at Over Manga Cast. Give us a like, comment, and, and subscribe on YouTube. That's a good way to stay in touch with us and uh, talk with us uh, one-to-one about uh, individual episodes. Drop us a review on your podcatcher of choice and uh, suggest anything you want us to read by uh, DMing us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Oh my God, Matt posted the, the next house <laughs> cover and it's really good. I don't think that's the next one, but that's the one with uh, Jack Frost on it. <laughs> oh my God, that's oh, amazing. Anyway. Tune in next week where uh, we've had Christmas. Now it's time to wish everyone a happy new year. And we are going to ring in 2022 by taking a look back at 2021 and uh, giving our top three for each host of our favorite properties that we read over the past year. And if we don't mention yours, it's because you have bad taste. And you should absolutely scream at us about it on social media. Mm hmm. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.